0: Welcome to Inclusion Unlocked, where we explore the changing equity, diversity, and inclusion landscape, bringing you fresh perspectives, lived experiences, practical tips, and next practice. I'm Sasha Scott, and I'm the founder and CEO of The Inclusive Group. We're an equity, diversity, and inclusion consultancy in the business of behavior. Alongside our guests, we'll be exploring challenging topics and focusing on action. Considering the practical steps each of us can take whether we're leaders, HR practitioners, or colleagues, to unlock inclusion in our workplace. Today, I'm joined by Diversity, Equity and Inclusion powerhouse, Karima Green. As Director of Inclusion and Impact at Sports and Entertainment Agency CSM, Karima is leading trailblazing work to foster greater inclusion in the world of sport, In one of the most important and open discussions we've had on Inclusion Unlocked, we discussed the very real challenges DEI practitioners face in their day-to-day work and the toll that this can take on our resilience. For anyone who's engaged in the DEI space, whether you're a practitioner, an employee resource group stakeholder, or a leader invested in driving change, this discussion will provide a huge amount of food for thought on how we can support ourselves and others in driving this work forward. Well, hi Karima, how lovely to see you. Thank you so much for coming on Inclusion Unlocked. So for our listeners, Karima is a very seasoned, winning diversity leader and the Director of Inclusion and Impact at Sports and Entertainment Agency CSM. So my first question to you And it's a question I bet you get asked quite a lot is what actually sparked your passion for DEI?
1: So I guess fundamentally it it when I answer this question, I think it varies day to day, right? In terms of of what drives or what, what sparked me to get into this work. Um, when I'm introspective I think about kind of how I grew up and not feeling like a sense of belonging in myself. I grew up in a very conservative white part of North Wales and being somebody who comes from a mixed ethnicity background, you know I'm, I'm half Welsh, half Arabic, I always felt like a little bit different. Um, you know, I had divorced parents, which was incredibly unusual as well back then. Um, and so actually, where I kind of found a real sense of belonging was through sports. And I think with sports, you know, it's all about fairness fundamentally. Um, and I think I just kind of took that into um, my adult life. And I've always cared about fairness. And I think I've always wanted to fight for fairness, but I never quite knew what that would have mean for me in terms of a, a future career. Right? Yeah. Um, one of the ways that, you know, I, I kind of ended up in this work, uh, and to be honest, it was completely accidental, um, I, after university, um, was working in IT and in an IT project management, and I was in a department of about a hundred people. And I used to look around, and there were like five other women in my department, all of whom wow. kind of were were no more senior than sort of a team lead. And I didn't see myself represented in kind of leadership or in senior management. And so in turn, then found it difficult to think about okay. how would I grow my career and like how could I navigate this landscape? Um, and so I ended up kind of speaking to a manager who was actually a great ally. Um, and he helped me find a mentor and um, another part of that business. And so with that mentor, who was a senior woman, you know, I was able to talk to her really openly about trying to navigate kind of the working landscape as somebody who was 21 and naive and, you know, (laughs) unsure of of the world. Um, And so, you know, that kind of grew really organically. And from the back of that kind of mentorship, we acknowledged actually there was need for kind of a, a, a women's program at this organization, And so we set out to build it. So we would do networking events. We built out more mentorship opportunities. Um, We worked with HR at the time to come up with like differing processes and policies that would encourage more women getting um, into the workplace, into leadership positions. And so um, after sort of six months of doing this on top of my day job, they, they asked me to sort of step into kind of their people team to be a project manager for the people wow. team there. And so that's how it happened. It was really organic. And I think for me, it was um, a, a real, I've always said like my career's always been based on a lot of support, a lot of allyship, but an enormous amount of luck and timing. And I think that, you know, um, I was just in the right place at the right time with the right manager. And then it sparked this um, desire to want to make real change. And as I kind of started to establish, you know, my career and understanding how businesses worked, I recognized actually how inequitable businesses are, right? And Mm -hmm. actually the processes, these systemic processes, procedures, policies, practices, things that have just been done that way all the time before, you need to be able to unpick that. And so this is where it started to drive more focus for me and and I started to understand actually the scope of this role and what could be um, should be done um but yeah it was uh, it it wasn't a targeted sort of yeah. um drive into d e and i I fell into it and i you know every day I'm grateful for such a happy accident right <laughs> I
0: love that a happy accident and i actually i think that um that's really probably more common than people think that uh, the accidental DEI practitioner, that's a book I'm writing at the moment, and it is that a lot of us do end up doing this stuff, but there isn't a formal route necessarily that says if you go from A to B to C to D, then you'll end up in EDI, DEI, whatever acronym we're using this week or month. Um, But I also think from your story of telling me there and the origins uh, around you know, your heritage and being in Wales and all of those circumstances that create a sense sometimes of not totally belonging, it drives us, it drives yeah. us. And uh, drive is absolutely important in this job, right? I mean, I think drive is important in every job. But, I really think drive is important in this job for reasons that you and I have talked about in the past, and that that drive and that purpose. I'd like you to reflect on a really important lesson that you may have learned through your career that's helped you be effective, like how, what makes you effective, because I know you're effective, I've worked with you, you're great, but what makes you effective? Thank you.
1: I'm not sure this is going to be a very popular answer, but it's it's a truthful one. And I think to be effective, you have to get comfortable with having to compromise. And with many sort of purpose led professionals, like we do this work because, you know, we believe in it and it aligns with our personal values because we wouldn't do it otherwise. Right. It's too hard. (laughs) Um, And sometimes those beliefs and values can be impacted and they can be crossed. And every day is not going to be a win Um, and you will get no, you'll get more no's than yeses. So understanding how you can compromise um, and how you can influence is really vital to keep the momentum, you know, and the progress going. And And I think what's important to remember as well is progress does not look the same for everybody. And actually, when you work in this space, we very often have a very clear um, view of what we believe good to look like. Right. And what systemic actions that we need to put in place to get us there. And, you know, it's not always going to be in the art of the possible, especially if you work in, you know, I'm an organisational DEI person, so I work in a business. And, you know, and those businesses are very often global, they're very often matrixed, there's always going to be conflicting expectations that you need to reconcile. And very often, there's more expectation and demand than your ability to drive that action. And so, I, I often think that there are a lot of unrealistic expectations and pressures that we have of ourselves and the work that we do. But as long as you keep moving, it makes a difference. And very often I talk to my, you know the leaders that I work with about this um, a lot is you can't let perfection be the enemy of good and you just have to keep the work going, even if it's not always what or how we want it. And I think the other piece of that, you know, which really helps me reconcile yeah. that line of thought is recognizing your place in the ecosystem of change. A lot of us, like I said, are kind of organizational DEI professionals. So when we join a business, it's because we believe in that business um, to make a difference and to reflect back out to society what we want, but at the same time, when you join that business, you become aligned to their values and to their mission and to their purpose. Yeah. And if you can't connect to that for whatever reason, and you can't recognise the role that you play, perhaps that business is not the right place for you and you know you have to operate within the sphere of that business and that might look a little different to what your personal belief or focus areas are and how you show up as an activist in your personal life will always be different to how you show up professionally to evolve an organization to be fairer to be more diverse to be more inclusive to be more equitable to be a safe space for people Mm. and I found, and I've been the victim of this in my own career, right, we can use our energy ineffectively or inefficiently because we're fighting a fight we're never going to win. And I think that sometimes it's not always going to be the same priorities for an organization as that you might have, right? And I think, you know, you have to recognize the areas that your business and the business that you work with can realistically impact and you need to then identify those ones that you can impact and you work towards those because progress at the end of the day is progress and so I think that's a really important lesson Mm -hmm. that I've learned and that I've had to come to terms with as well like, you know, we want to change the world that's why we do this work but you have to kind of be realistic about what's in your scope of influence to change otherwise it's, you know, it's going to demotivate and de-energize
0: you yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and I think where it becomes really problematic is when people go into this role without that in mind, a lack of realism. And certainly, I, I mean, we, we tend to work primarily in commercial organisations. And um, if people go into a role in a commercial organisation without recognising also the business case, on top of the moral case, the business case, and um, recognise, you know, really the mechanics of what that organisation does and what is capable of and what they're not capable of, you can get very, very unhappy, frustrated people. Um, mm-hmm. So that alignment at the front end, I think, is imperative, hence you know, the need to really recruit in a very, very sort of rigorous way for both mm-hmm. parties. But also interesting, really interesting in what you say around value, values colliding um, and what i hear from you is that you've done a lot of work within yourself to be comfortable with understanding the values of the organization our own personal values knowing they're never going always completely aligned and be able to deal with it when they come apart and i I, look this is just an observation i bet there are a lot of people in our space that leave organizations when they really stop believing in the values of the organisation in terms of how they conflict with their personal values. so what do you think?
1: Yeah, I would agree. And I have seen that a lot, actually, especially over the last couple of years, if we think about, you know, Specifically, some of the outcomes or, or what happened after you know the murder of George Floyd in 2020, when organisations were not responding how people were expecting, and it was crossing value sets. You know that yeah. we saw some some mass exoduses um from different businesses, and it carried on then through kind of COVID yeah. and the pandemic, right? And yeah. I do see that kind of continuing, um and this is why you know I think it's important. Um, you know, my comment around recognizing where you sit in the ecosystem of change, right? And where your comfort levels are. Um, when you're a, a diversity consultant or you're a specialist speaker or you're somebody who works in a business, there yeah. are always going to be different varying um results that you're you're working towards. And, and if you're an independent consultant, you have your own business, for example, you have much more autonomy over like what you know, your and where your values um align and you can make those decisions. But when you're employed by an organization, you have to you have to realign with that, right? And it's not all like we said, it's not always going to be perfect. It's not always gonna not always gonna fit and it's not always gonna suit. Um, but you sort of need to think about whether or not that's the organization for you. Um and whether or not you can you can persevere if it's not, if you can persevere in making it a place that aligns with your values as well, and I, I do think that resilience is um, a, a necessary but necessary trait in this in this role, yeah. um, and, I, and I don't think we talk about that enough either around kind of the requirement of resilience being being a number Absol- one um, driver.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and actually, the reality for many of us is absolutely, this work is hard. And, and I think it's got a heck of a lot harder in the last two years. And DEI practitioners carry an enormous weight, a huge weight for their organisations. And earlier this year, we at Inclusive Group, we did a poll and we started to explore the factors affecting resilience, as you say, of DEI practitioners. So it was very focused on people in our space and resilience. And their responses were really evenly spread Around the scale of the work, um, that that sometimes became just too much. The fatigue amongst stakeholders. I mean, that whole diversity fatigue piece, right? Really, really significant. A lot of the people that contributed to our poll said they felt deeply lonely, and a lack of support, yeah. very isolated, and um, some was equally saying around twenty-five percent that organisations valuing style over substance which to me just is sort of performative right um and i'm interested in your view on that and if you think about your own experience as a leader are there wider factors that eat away at one's resilience so it's an enormous question (laughs) but take bits of it that you might want to talk about what do you think about the loneliness? actually i i want to ask you what do you think people are lonely who do this role yeah yeah i
1: think because very often organizations um don't always have the resource or investment to be able to um create teams and sometimes you know we're in we're inclusive by nature so we you know we we seek connection we seek community we seek teams and so if you're a a, a lone individual in this work it it, it It's perfectly natural, I think. Um, And sometimes being the moral compass or the mirror of an organisation is a very lonely place to be and it can make you unpopular very quickly. So, yeah, that really resonates with me. I think all of those do, actually. But I think also we are never really afforded the privilege of time. And expectation is just so high and demand is so extensive. Organizations and their employees expect change and progress pretty much as soon as they bring somebody into the role, right? And and listen, I get it. I want things to change at a rapid pace too. I always go into businesses saying that I want to work myself into obsolescence because actually I want to work myself out of a job because if we do this well, that should be the case. There should be no need for this discipline. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking to retire early and open my dog rescue centre and my bakery and live in the countryside. That would be lovely. Um, but the reality of it is this work is slow um, and especially if you want to get it right. And, you know, affect affect we're essentially totally overhauling the way that businesses and in turn societies operate and we didn't get to this point overnight so we shouldn't expect to fix it overnight either yeah. the reality is is that it's deep systemic generational work um and so to your point around performative action the pressure to deliver often then produces really superficial initiatives almost like we have to prove that we're adding value straight away but it papers over the reality of what truly needs to be done and i've really you know valued my onboarding experience at csm so i've been there for five months now and i've been given the space and the opportunity to spend a lot of time understanding our business understanding our market and the industry that we serve in order to have deep thinking time about the meaningful change that we can make and the impact that we can make that's intrinsically linked to our business. So the purpose, the scope of influence that we have. And I have a leadership team that, that not only understand but support that approach. I don't think that's the same experience for many other DEI professionals that I that I know. And you know, we're so often on the clock to prove value and you know, deliver and we're not making the necessary space and then i think the other interesting piece is you know to your point around kind of leadership fatigue but it's also uh-huh. it's also the power dynamic of accountability it's never truly tipped in the dei professionals favor um and i think you know this change is the responsibility of everybody in that business, um, but even more so kind of the leadership teams, right? But if you're not getting the results that you expected or the organisation wanted, it's very often the DEI person that's kind of on the chopping block, um, overtaking uh, an introspective view of perhaps why things aren't landing. And, you know, if we think about role modelling or not properly investing time or resource or also the unwillingness to create consequences for the lack of needed behavioural change. So when I when I think about an example, right, imagine you've got a really great revenue generator, they bring a lot of profit into the business, but their behaviours are out of whack with kind of the, the, the standards that you would want to see or the values within your organisation, but no one's kind of creating consequence to address that behavioral change. And at the end of the day, the markers of of your culture is the lowest behavior that you'll tolerate. And I think that goes beyond sort of what your DEI person can do or can affect or can impact. And so, you know, we need to think about how we drive that forward and how we create momentum in a way that feels like you're delivering change on a regular basis and this is this concept that I've worked on called sort of immediate and significant culture so immediate culture is essentially focused on like allyship and inclusion it's driven by behavior within your team within by your manager your leader in proximity it's what you See, feel, hear, think every day when you go into that organization can be impacted in a number of ways that sort of demonstrate change on a regular basis, right? And so it feels like things are moving along more quickly because you're sort of having those regular conversations or you're doing those awareness days or you're having discussions or dialogue. But then significant culture, on the other hand, is deep organisational change, like the the diversity of the business, the overhauling of policy, practice and and procedure. That's the stuff that takes a really long time, Um, but it's about building that future and that legacy that we can be proud of. And I do think that there is, you know, that's what needs the time in order for it to truly feel um, like we're making an impact in that space and it doesn't feel performative. And, you know, I just don't think we're given the time that we need to do that. You know, if we think from 2020 to 2023, where there's been more focus on this work than ever before, can we still really evidence significant change in three years? Probably not. Change takes such a long time. Um, But, you know, the expectation is, that we should have. And if we're not, then there are consequences for the DEI professional rather than the organisation as a whole. And I think that's a really interesting and um, often quite
0: um, difficult line to navigate when you're in this work. I I think I think you're spot on. I think there's a total lack of accountability framework on the deliverables here, so let's take the scenario, as you say, you know, we can have someone that might have great relationships with clients, but the behaviour is very uh, questionable. Um, And so they don't act in line with the values of the organisation, but the organisation loves them in inverted commas because of the relationships or the revenue, etc. Until there is far more of an accountancy around individual behaviours in organisations with strict penalties, i.e. you will not work here anymore if you carry on behaving like that, that way, you know, that is a tantamount to whatever, gross misconduct. You know, nothing changes. And I think that you know, there has to be more individual accountability across businesses. And people just literally have to be kicked out when their behaviours are not OK. Uh, and that's when you get your commercials crossing with your values, right? And then I absolutely hear you when you say... The expectation is for delivery quickly. But when you t- talk to an organisation, what does good look like? I think often they'll say, well, good looks like we're more representative of society. Now, that ain't ever going to happen in two years. And that's far more structural and far more sort of o- o- organisational. and it becomes incumbent on us as DEI practitioners to educate businesses about what the KPIs should or could look like, as opposed to being told, we'll hire X, Y or Z, sort our recruitment out, because clearly that's just all about diversity, and then we will have more diverse people. And it's just too simplistic, right? Way too simplistic. And there's a lot of education still needs to go. I'm I'm interested, when when like you and I first met, um, we, we had a really, I found it a really interesting conversation about people in our space being in the line of fire. And I've noticed I'm more worried about people who work at Inclusive Group in the last year than I ever have been around insulating our people from hostility, which happens in the course of delivery and consultancy. And I don't think a lot of people really see the toll that this work can take on people. Um, I think we need to get better at talking openly around it. And if you're comfortable, can you give me us and me us an insight into your own experience of how the industry can have a toll on us on a human level? Yeah, see, I think I I couldn't agree
1: with you more. Right, I think. I really felt this at a a previous organisation that I won't name and shame, but it was one of the most disappointing conversations I think I've ever had in my career. So um, I remember having a discussion with somebody and, you know, they said that I should just accept that emotional toll is part and parcel of my role and effectively brushed off my call for help right and I found that to be sort of deeply damaging to, to my ability to express how I feel and as a person who is naturally very emotionally resilient um, if I'm in a place where I feel like I'm struggling, it's indicative of the proportionality of kind of the challenges that I feel like I'm facing. Right. And that's not just with kind of pressure and expectation, but it's it's the emotional trauma that comes along almost at one point um, over the last couple of years. It was on a daily basis. And I don't know about your kind of experience with this, Sasha, but I've sort of found, especially the last couple of years, that when you're in a DEI role, and maybe it's because we are focused on creating psychologically safe environments, that people often come to you before they'll go to their people partner or their HR team um, to talk about their lived experience or to talk about situations that are, you know, affecting them. And so we very often are the first point of call and deal with very complicated issues um, that sort of cover a whole range of human emotion, whilst navigating both political landscapes internally and externally. And I think you know the majority of us in this work are largely empathetic individuals. It's a natural trait for DEI folks, um, and it's it's a really good one to have. Um, but with that, you almost become like a sponge for trauma, and you you find you're taking this on. On a, on a constant basis, but then you have nowhere to to turn with that trauma, right? Because many organisations don't offer additional support for their DEI folks in terms of you know counselling or therapy. Um, and I know we talked about it when we first met. You know, I really see a gap in the market for DEI like retreats, <laughs> um, where we can go and sort of share and 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 clear ourselves of of some of of, of this trauma. And actually, a couple of years ago. I saw a post on LinkedIn about uh, a DEI leader's experience who I who I really respect and admire, and have always sort of looked at as. Is- Kind of the pinnacle in our in our workforce, um, but how they were stepping away from this work to protect their own mental health and well being, and in that article they verbalized things that I was thinking and feeling about my work for such a long time, but wasn't sure how to articulate. Right, so not only are we charged with supporting organisations to drive change, but we're lent on more than anyone really on um, in times of high external pressures for complicated and often intersectional response and action that feels impactful and meaningful. And the hard fact is, and I've come to accept this in this work, is that you are never gonna get it quite right and it's never gonna be enough for everyone. Um, And we have to make peace with the fact that we'll always be critiqued because ultimately it's emotional response management that we are dealing with and that's incredibly complicated and it's rooted in everybody's individual experience and how they perceive and then receive what it is that you are doing um, within the constraints of an operating organisation. And so, with that in mind, there's very little downtime. I met up with a, an old colleague for dinner a couple of weeks ago, and she said to me, she was like, you must never switch off because there's always kind of something going on in the world. And it's so true, right? You know, I, I start and end my day by reading the news to think, okay is there something here that I have to jump on tomorrow? Is there something that I have to think about in terms of supporting colleagues um, across the world? Is there something here that is going to blow up at some point and cause a lot of emotional trauma or trigger for people? We have to constantly be on and that doesn't give us a lot of downtime, um, especially in our markets that are generally kind of, more hostile and say take the US for example, where there was a period of time where it felt like we were responding to something almost on a on a daily weekly basis that was incredibly traumatic and incredibly triggering for individuals. Um, and so you're on high alert and yeah. you know it's it can be really exhausting. Um, and so for me, the way that I have found um to be my healthy way of coping and it's going to look different for everyone um, is I seek therapy um, and I'm really open and honest about it because I think it's important. Um, and I seek therapy for a number of reasons, right? Both personal, but it's also really helpful professionally because it's an outlet for me to talk about how I'm processing. Um, and also because, you know, pressure and stress is a, is a big part of, of this world and this role. Um, but also, you know, I look for um, forms of exercise that Feel like meditation, so I do a lot of walking and a lot of swimming, and I think they're moments where I can switch my brain off um, and you know just really lose myself. Um, but a colleague of mine, we were talking about this um, only a week ago, and she said that she reads a lot of fiction because going into a, a, an imagine, you know, an imagined world that is so far removed from our own is where she can find breaks and solace um and i think that's a really interesting concept right and and you know it's about how you how you process these things will look different for everyone those you know yeah. exercise and therapy has really helped me over the last couple of years uh and i think that you know what i would like to see more of is government and organizational support for people in these types of roles for us to be able yeah. to to do that more effectively because yeah. Burnout is a is a real thing for DEI professionals and we've seen it more in the last couple of years than than like in the last five, ten years, right? People stepping away from this work. We're losing talent because we're not able to look after people properly. And that's yeah. such a shame. Um and I, I and I worry about the future of our profession if we continue mm-hmm. down this road without without those sort of systemic support uh, models for
0: yeah. for people yeah. who yeah. do this day in, day out. Absolutely. I mean, personally, I think that you know, uh, good therapy should be on on tap for anybody in this role because of the sort of vicarious trauma that people are taking on. And, and, and not really, we don't know the consequences of this because this stuff gets passed down, right? Passed mm-hmm. down and passed down and embedded in, ultimately into our bones. And as you're saying, we're a lot of us are on a sort of hyper vigilance most of the time and you have to scan the paper because you don't know when the next situation is going to occur and who it's going to impact from an intersectional perspective and what the getting the comms out and getting the support out and setting all up and then there is a space which says well but who's looking after me and so I really really was interested in how you responded to that question and I i can i i think i could into into it that you've done a lot of work on yourself around really getting comfortable sitting with the way in which we can achieve and what's okay and what's good enough yeah i found that really really helpful and um i absolutely agree with you that uh, yeah, and we're trying to do this at Inclusive Group, we're trying to really um, push into, in 2024, building a community of people in this space and creating you know, a, a, a retreat so people can go and talk and process and relax and just download to people who are in this space. Um, and by the way, there's a lot of ice at this retreat because I, the, my personal advice is I like sitting in like ice tanks to just completely decompress and, um, you know, go into really, really deep, deep ice. And that just, it, it, it circuits your brain. You can't think about anything else. And afterwards, it's just unbelievable. Unbelievable. Anyway, I digress. I'm not going to make it all about me, but I'm just telling you, watch out for the ice. Um, I'm not sure I'll join you in the ice bath but uh I'll, I'll don't worry there's a beach as well there's a beach as well you'll be there with lots of yoga um, we're going to get cools going can we come on your retreat sasha um I, I i'm mindful of time and i'd like um i'd like uh, to ask you a final question and i'd like you to be talking out to the you, you, people that have not yet in our career in our space but are aspiring to be here um could you give a piece of advice to aspiring DEI practitioners looking to start a career in this area? Yeah, you know, what what would that advice be? It's a great
1: question. Um, I think first and foremost, really think about why you're entering this work and what's driving you to do so. Um, you know, all the way through, we've talked about kind of being purpose or value led, and I think unless you are inherently driven by that it will be difficult to have a long-standing career in this in in this work um I absolutely would recommend that you get yourself a mentor of somebody who's been doing it a while and also take some time to understand the nitty-gritty I think there are so many misconceptions about the glamour that's involved in this work because it's become more high profile and so people think that you know you sprinkle an awareness day you organize some speakers for a panel event you know you you build a couple of like nice looking resource packs you go to conversations with leaders and and that's it right and and it's not and the perversion of this work is that actually when you work in organizational dei you're never truly a DEI specialist, right? If you want to be super successful, you need to understand how to change organisations. And for me, that I think has always been my separator, is that, you know, I don't claim to be a DEI specialist. I claim to be an organisational change specialist, but my outcome is focused to drive DEI at the heart of the organisation. And... That in itself is a skill set that I think is really lacking um, in this work. I think, you know, if you are emerging and you want to do this, get yourself uh, a change management qualification, look at project management, because actually that's going to really be much more beneficial for you in the long run. Have, of course, and value diversity knowledge. Go out, educate yourself, read books Become aware, become culturally sensitive, be cognizant of what's going on in the world, but also think about actually: is it that when you move into organizational DEI that you want to focus more on kind of the technical still of diversity, or do you want to be someone who changes a business? Because that that I think is a is a very different offering. Um and just be prepared for how difficult the work is and I think that you know um we should just be really honest about that and I think we have been throughout this whole conversation Mm. but what I will say is um I could not be more grateful every day that I have a career that I love and that is satisfying and fulfilling and what I will say is that no two days will ever be the same you will be pushed out of your comfort zone on a daily basis. You will never have tasks that are not challenging to you. You will have conversations that will leave you head scratching. You'll have conversations that will leave you inspired, leave your life affirmed. Um, And, you know, I look around, I talk to my friends very often about their jobs. And I'm one of the rare few who get to go and do something that I love all day, every day. And I think that when you commit to this work and, and you take the, the, the bad with all of the good, you have a career that is so fulfilling and so satisfying and you have light bulb moments, right? So, you know, I live for the light bulb moment where I'll see somebody connect or resonate with this work or challenge or be, be an ally in the moment or call out a microaggression or want to change a policy. Those are moments that you know that you've made some sort of impact and you've made some sort of change and you know like I said progress is progress change is change whether it's massive organizational change or the change in someone's behavior in that moment there is nothing better and so you know I'm so grateful for my career and I'm so grateful for this work Um, and I would love to see more people step into it because it is important but I would like for people to understand you know looking at it holistically is it is it a space that you that you really want to operate in I would hope so but you know be prepared for for how challenging it is but you know like I said every day every day I feel lucky and Mm -hmm. you know I don't i never take that for granted um it's a it's a it's a place of privilege and joy to be in when you love your career.
0: I agree and I don't think it's something that lots and lots and lots of people have I think that we're incredibly fortunate to be able to say no one day's the same I'm yeah. doing stuff that makes a difference to the world sometimes big sometimes tiny but it, you know I'm I'm filled with purpose about what I do but yeah absolutely unbelievably tough work at times hostile aggressive difficult traumatic <laughs> Traumatic. But, you know, th- it, it, honest. And this podcast is all about honesty. And you've come into this podcast and been very honest about the experiences of working in this space. And everything I hear resonates with me. And I absolutely can guarantee it's going to resonate with a ton of people who, who dial in to listen to this, listen to this podcast. Um, because I think this is the reality. And we're very, very fortunate, as you say, to be even doing this work so karima thank you thank you for your thank you for your very valuable time i i wish you a wonderful swimming weekend a walking weekend a decompression weekend um and we really really appreciate your voice and um taking you know being part of our podcast today and our community thank you very much thank you you for
1: the opportunity
0: I'm sure that so much of what Karima has shared will resonate deeply with you. If you want to benefit from the support in your DI journey, I'd love to hear from you. To find out more about our work at Inclusive Group and arrange a conversation, please click on the link on the landing page of this episode and follow it through to our website. We look forward to talking.